when you first got to the varsity baseball team at Benedictine, who was the first person to give you that wake-up call and welcome you to the varsity level of competition? And I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. My first, my first at bat, um, <laughs> first, first few uh, varsity games I got into, you know, went in late as a defensive replacement or whatever and, and didn't get in at bat. You know, that, that wasn't too different, but, you know, playing the outfield yeah. was about the same as it had been at other levels. But my first at bat, you know, early in the year, pretty cold, a little, little snow in the air. Um, and I struck out on three straight pitches, man. Like, First pitch, fastball, took it. Second pitch, fastball, swung and missed. Okay, I feel like I'm ready for it. And then the third pitch was a it's a slider. It looked like it was going to be that fastball at first, and then all of a sudden it just disappeared on me. And I was like, okay, this is a, it's a little different little different level here than, than what I've uh, been accustomed to before. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy All right, welcome to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 61, this is one that I'm really fired up about This is a guy that I've known for a very long time So this episode is going to be filled with lots of fun stories and laughs uh, we coached together at Ridgepoint High School for several years, and he is now the defensive coordinator at Seven Lakes High School out there in Katy, Texas. It's my pleasure to welcome my good friend of the show, Phil Dober. Hey, great to be on, Kevin. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> Absolutely. And if you're enjoying, if you're part of this team player movement here, give us the five-star rating. It takes five seconds. Wherever you're listening, just click the five stars. We've eclipsed the 50 mark on Spotify, so that's awesome. Let's keep it going. Uh, if you want to leave a written review, I'll read those live on the show. You can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We'd be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. So you grew up in Berea, Ohio. And now I'm, I've, got a, I've been up to my, my eyeballs in Ohio this week because I just got done talking to Mike DeMarchi over there in uh, East Lake, And now yeah. we're, we're going to head to the southwest side of Cleveland uh, yeah. in Berea. And so looking yeah. at this, I, I always like to look at the map and kind of see where it's at. So I saw 20 minutes southwest of downtown Cleveland and uh, so really not that far. So kind of cool the yeah. way that it's set up. You could get into the into downtown pretty quickly, yeah. but yeah, tell us what it was like. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of right by the airport there and kind of grew yeah. up. One, one of the cool things is the, uh, the Browns training facilities there in Berea. So we're able to yeah. kind of see practices and stuff as kids growing up. And yeah, I think uh, for people, you know, from the Houston area, Cleveland's a lot smaller than Houston. So most places right, are right. within, like you said, kind of a 20 minute drive of a downtown as opposed to, you know, taking an hour to get, get there uh, from here. <laughs> yeah, no, man, totally understand. And it was kind of interesting, you know, you, you're, you went to Benedictine, which I'm assuming is like a private Catholic school. That's and correct, yeah. again, looking at the map, it's kind of on the other side of town, like Benedictine, uh, more what I'd call Southeast of downtown. You know, yeah. it, it's kind of cool that that's actually kind of cool. It's only 10 minutes from progressive field. <laughs> <laughs> where the yeah. guardians play. And so you're right there in, in downtown Cleveland. So 
I guess my first question is, you know, being here in Houston, most of our listeners, we do have some really prominent, excellent private schools, but a lot of us down here, we go to public schools, but I've noticed, you know, my wife's from Michigan and she went to a private school along with her, my, my brother-in-law went to a private school. I'm just kind of curious, is the culture different in the Midwest or in the North where there more kids go to private schools or how does that work? Yeah, yeah I, I think it is definitely. I, I think, you know, if you, you know, looking back at growing up and stuff, that was a very, a very common thing. Um, you know, by contrast to down here, I think you're right. It is a lot more rare down here. And, you know, I, I think an argument can be made that, you know, up in that part of the country, a lot of times the private schools are, are maybe better educationally or athletically. And I, I don't know that that argument necessarily holds down here as well. I think part of it, too, is, is up there. There's not an athletic distinction made between the public and private schools from a competitive standpoint. So they are able to compete against. Right the same, you know, it's all together, public and private combined. And so I think that kind of also lends itself from the athletic side of it to people being more willing to go to those places because there's no, no difference in level of competition and who you're able to play against and compete for championships and those kinds of things. But yeah, definitely a lot more prevalent, I think, up in that part of the country than, than down here. Interesting. Demarchi, he went to East Lake High. And so I guess he's yeah. a public school guy. So he's a, yeah, right. He is. Yeah. <laughs> he, he prides he himself on being a, a lunch pail kind of guy. So, yeah. He'll, he'll give me the, the good natured uh, ribbing about that from time to time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> and I love the Demarchi episode. And in your honor, I am wearing uh, a Cleveland Indians throwback jersey. And it's actually, if I turn, if you could, if I turn it around, it's the Rick Wild thing Vaughn jersey. And uh, Demarchi told me the story on dress up day. He, he wore this jersey and you were the first person to pick it out and say, Hey, wild thing, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. I think, you know, there, there are certain, certain cultural things and, you know, sports related cultural things that, that anyone that kind of, you know, grew up in that, in yes. the Cleveland area, kind of sure. always, you know, no matter where we end up getting scattered all over the place, you still kind of can, you know, recognize I was wearing a brown shirt at the store the other day. And right. It's a random guy walking in, hey, nice shirt, you know, and it tells me about where he grew up and all that. Kind right. Of thing. So that part's kind of cool. You know, and that, that is the fun part. And, you know, like I said, I always make fun of myself, my jersey collection. It, 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 it's been a not the best way to spend my money, but I enjoy it. And I swear, Dober, when I put jerseys on, I'll wear them out to the bar on the weekend. And I always have somebody come up to me who's from yeah. whatever town the jersey I'm wearing. Because that's the cool thing about Houston. We have so many transplants. It happens all the time, especially when I do Midwestern cities. I'll, I'll meet a guy from Pittsburgh or Cleveland or Detroit or, you know, uh, even like the more like uh, Plains Midwest. Like if I put on an Iowa jersey or something like that, it's inevitable. So I've loved yeah. it. I said this on the show many a times. People like yourself or Coach Sniffin from Iowa. I mean, I just really enjoyed meeting coaches from the Midwest. I think you guys are a godsend. I mean, everyone that I've met has been so great. So can you, can you talk about that? Like being someone who came down here, do you see a lot of your Northern brethren in the coaching community? I mean, do, do you feel, do you notice that as well? Or, or how do you feel about the whole, that whole dynamic? Yeah. yeah, I think so. And I think that, um, I think there are, are differences and in, in reasons that, you know, people that are interested in, in you know, coaching and, and being in that profession, end up kind of gravitating down here right i think you know you know it, i think there's a lot of things you know that make this a great area texas a great state the houston area a great area for it i mean things like weather and having athletic periods and that was one thing we didn't have athletic periods right. in school right? right so like you're you're taking just a general pe class and then having to go practice after school and those kinds of things 
you know, and those things may seem minor, but, you know, in the in the daily life of a coach and, and what you're able to get accomplished, you know, th those kinds of little things are are things that are great down here. And I think that, you know, draws people to this area as well as, you know, Houston being a great place to live and, and good for, you know, family and that kind of thing. And not not snowing is a huge, uh, a huge plus for me, you know. Sure. <laughs> Now, Benedictine High School, I already kind of alluded to the location I thought was really cool, like actually yeah. really close to downtown Cleveland. You played on the base basketball and baseball teams there. Your coaches were Coach Nolan, Russ, Slowinski. Good Pollock there. I like seeing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably a lot of these are Polish, but uh, so, yeah. Saran, Saran and Stricula. And so can yeah. you just kind of reflect back, man, on, you know, we always, we like talking about like, a lot of us got into coaching because we had influential right. and impactful coaches or great experiences in high school. Can you just, yeah. I'm sure you're probably the same way. Can you kind of describe your experience going to Benedictine? Yeah. I, and one thing that this kind of leads into sure. the previous, previous, that's your previous question too. The idea of, of coaches here having to work in the school and teach in the school. Right. Yes. You know, your, your question there kind of leads me to that thought is like, that's a difference up there too. Is like, you know, of, of those guys that, that you listed, I'd say half of them were, were teachers in the school. Right. And then the other half, you know, they worked other jobs and would come just for coaching. So, yep. but yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the impacts that kind of le led me to, you know, the career path and everything I wanted to are largely because of those coaches, you know, the guys that, you know, and, and I think specifically the ones that, that taught classes as well. You know, I remember coaching Nolan, I was in his English class a couple of years and, and that kind of, you know, relationship or kind of seeing how, mm -hmm. how that fits together and, and, you know, his sense of humor and, you know, yeah. sarcasm kind of yeah. fit well with me. And then, you know, the way yeah. he was out in the field too. I think those are the, you know, the kind of people that I think, you know, you have to have a love of, of kids and, and those kinds of things. But I think a lot of that happens because of an adult, you know, a coach likely that we had in our past that kind of, right. you know, led us down that path and, and put that inspiration into us to want to, I guess, you know, pay that forward or kind of continue that, that valuable work. And then after high school, you know, you, you stayed in the city and, and this is really cool. I'm looking at the location of Cleveland state university. I mean, it's within a, it's less than a mile. Uh, from, yeah. you know, that downtown sports complex with a rocket mortgage for the Cavaliers and right. the Guardians playing a progressive. So, again, you you are right there in the heart of the city. So let's talk about that. I mean, what was your experience like, uh, you know, staying in the metro sure. area, but also even like going to school, like right there in the shadow of, of all the big buildings of downtown Cleveland? Yeah, I, I think that was that was one of the really neat things. Um you know, about, I guess, a little bit of a smaller metropolitan area where, sure, you sure. know, you feel like it was, you know, easy, you know, like I, like I could be home from school in 30 minutes, you know, door to door. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a, a job at a, working at a bar that was kind of right, like you said, right next to Jacobs yeah. Field at the time and the Gun right, Arena right. as I was in college. So, you know, I'd be able to go from, you know, finish up my classes, go work there, a lot of times be able to kind of go in to catch, you know, a few innings of the game or that wow. kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that atmosphere I thought was was really neat, just kind of, you know, whether you, you go to the game or not, but just being kind of in the in that area, you know, on a game day was really cool. And I think that was something that I, you know, always remember as being one of the huge positives of, of going to school in, you know, in, in kind of a more, you know, downtown type area, right. but th those kinds of, you know, experiences that were kind of opened up because of that. So that was, you know, kind of continued, you know, kind of my love of, of sports and, and that kind of thing 
you know, through those, through those college years. <clears throat> I think a lot of people down here may, we may sleep on what people call rust belt cities, you know, and I think that can have like a derogatory tone to it. But the thing is yeah. they've really changed. Um, yeah. Detroit, you know, which I have a connection to now with my wife. I mean, it, it's completely changed, um, you know, uh, in, in the past several years, uh, we went to uh, Cincinnati one summer mm-hmm. and had an awesome experience there. Oh my God, yeah. it's beautiful. Great American ballpark. Highly recommend going to Reds game down there. Yeah. And so really high on my list is Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which I have not mm-hmm. been to yet, but I do want to go sometime in the summer. And that, to me, they're both kind of similar cities, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, you know, at the map and the history where the Browns play now first energy stadium. Yeah. It's right on the lakefront. Uh, you know, the, the baseball field that we're talking about in the, you know, the rocket mortgage uh, field house, you know, they're more like in town a little bit off the, yeah. the Cuyahoga river, but yeah, I, I'm really just intrigued. Cause I remember, I remember the Browns used to play, they called it like Cleveland municipal or a lot of times lakefront stadium. Right. And I'm just right. looking at this location, man. And so I'm, I'm curious your memories as a kid, cause this same site was where the old Cleveland municipal yeah. stadium stood, uh, you right. know, the old dog pound. And yeah. so you, the Indian, it, you know, is the days of multi-use facilities, right? Just like the right. Astrodome. Yeah. And so can you just tell memories for us? Like when you got to go to that ballpark stadium, you know, with your, with your family, like, what was that yeah. like? So I have very, I have very few, very few memories of that one. Actually, that okay, was yeah, kind, of, yeah. kind of winding down as sure, I started sure, to kind sure. of, you know, become interested in sports. And, and I think Jacobs field with the Indians was built in 94, I think. So that's right. Yep. I was like eight years old at that time. Right, or right, right. So, you know, been by been to municipal stadium once or twice but really most of my like cleveland sports memories are our first energy stadium now yeah. or you know progressive field like those are the stadiums that i kind of grew up seeing games at but well, like you said kind of i think the the stadium running the brown stadium running the lake there's a pretty cool yes uh, yes pretty cool thing just like feeling like the cold sometimes or like what the mm-hmm. wind can do certain times of the year in that and that stadium is is pretty pretty crazy <laughs> no man couldn't agree more so that that is high on my list and then we've we one time we were gonna go uh to canton to go to the yeah. pro football hall of fame together but unfortunately my wife got covid so yeah. <laughs> hopefully yeah. we're past all that non you know all that stuff yeah. one of these days we will do that but yeah we'll have to make we'll have to make that one work that'll be a fun, yeah. be a fun that'll, trip. that'll be a lot of fun and now question i always ask coach yeah and the, the results to me are, are interesting I always ask when you enrolled at Cleveland State, did you know you wanted to be a coach? And so far, my statistics tell me 60% of my guests who are winning all these awards, Coach of the Year awards, they said no. When they when they stepped foot onto a college campus, they were studying to do something else. And so I find that interesting. And that also tells me it's never too late to start coaching. But what what was your path? Did you already know or are you going to do something else? I think I knew, but I was lying to myself and pretending I was going to do something else. So okay. I, I took a I took a year of mechanical engineering courses. So my first year, my first year in college, I was I was in the engineering department taking yep. you know calculus and strength materials and all those kinds of things. I had always kind of had it in the back of my mind though that like I wanted to coach, I wanted to to teach maybe, but I was still kind of unsure. You know, and a lot of people, oh, you know, you're good at good at math, you're good at you know, science, engineering is kind of the path you should take. But my mom's, my mom was a teacher and, you know, a lot of people in my family are are teachers and that kind of thing. So that's always kind of been a, been a part of me. And after that first year in college, I, that it was very clear to me, like, this is not the path I want to go down. I can't really see myself, right. You know, this being my career. And, And then at that point it was pretty easy to 
revert to what I think I probably really always knew was a, right. a bit of a calling for me, but kind of had to had to take the long the long <laughs> way to get there, you know. Sure. <laughs> And all and coach, you know, I, I'd be remiss talking about Cleveland. If, you know, fr- friends of the show, we all love your wife, April. I mean, she's just great. And I know you guys, I, from what I understand, were at, I don't know if it was high school or college. I mean, maybe college sweethearts. So can you just, yeah, so, if you don't mind telling that story, just for you know, for the listeners. Yeah, no, we we started dating. Um, I guess it was my senior year in high school. So we okay. met in high school, but but really primarily more through through college and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, um, you know, she went to Berea High right in, right in my hometown. And so we kind of met, um, met through, through some mutual friends that we had a bunch of friends that went to high school there. And so we kind of met that way and, and, you know, started, started dating my, my senior year. She's a year behind me in school. So it's her junior year. And so then, you know, yeah, kind of just kind of yeah. continued all the way through college and, you know, got, got married several years later and, and moved down here. And so, you know, when, when you make a move, across the country when you're leaving Cleveland to come to Houston and pack up all your stuff and <laughs> drive down here. I mean, it's complicated by having, you know, a long-term relationship. You weren't just a guy that could just make that decision for yourself. Right. Uh, I can't right. remember if DeMarchi, I can't remember if DeMarchi had a right, if he was just single. Cause I mean, I, he told me he just, he, he put everything in his car and he, he slept on the floor his first couple days in Houston, you know? So I don't think he had, I don't, I think he was unattached at the time, but for you, you kind of had a little bit different situation. And so what, what, what is that conversation like, you know, whenever you're discussing with April, like to make this big move? Yeah. I, I mean, she's awesome. First of yeah, all, for, is, yeah. you know, going along with it and all right. that kind of stuff. But um, I think, you know, before I had applied to any jobs down here, we had talked about that possibility. So we kind of, you know, I think we both were kind of of the mind that, you know, we didn't necessarily feel like we wanted to live in that part of the country our entire life. And, and so, and also too, at that time, there was kind of a pretty severe, I guess, you know, like population downsizing in right. that area. So right. it was pretty hard to even get, you know, an interview. Like I'm, I'm about to graduate college math teacher. You'd think that'd be kind of a high demand thing. And like, I was having a hard time even finding interviews. Right. So I flew down here to visit a buddy that was working for Shell at the time. And I was like, well, you know, while I'm down there, I might as well apply for a few jobs. And she said, yeah, go ahead. You know, that kind of thing. And so I get here. Well, while I'm on the plane, I end up getting a voicemail from the, the math department head at Sharkstown High School. Mm-hmm. And, and he offers me the job. Like, this is, I had not even interviewed or anything, right? Right. So I get, I get phone, you know, get off the plane, get this voicemail. Hey, we want to offer you this job. Um, I figure I'd be better, better use for you to use your time down here to find somewhere to live and those kinds of things. If you're interested in taking it, yeah, you know, and let me know. So <laughs> as soon as I land, I'm calling her. I'm like, yeah, they just offered me this job. You know, what do you think? And she said, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. So I called him back, accepted the job and then, you know, spent a few days while I was down here, you know, trying to find an apartment at that point. And then right. flew back up and not a week after that had everything in everything in a u-haul and was heading <laughs> heading this way for for permanent <laughs> oh man that, that's a great story and then so also i guess you know so you said you're a year ahead of april so she was still stu- finishing up her so you yeah. were, you came by yourself right <laughs> yeah so yeah so she, yeah she was still she was still in college um you know she came down with me i guess to help me move down and everything right. but but she flew up so my first my first semester working here was just here by myself in a, living in an apartment in Stafford teaching at Sharpstown um and then we, we were planning to get married the following spring but we actually ended up moving the wedding earlier so we got married in December of that year mm-hmm. 
and then she moved down after and, and finished up, you know, school down here to some extent and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, it was kind of a kind of a whirlwind time for us, but it was it was good. Well, I mean, I, I know my brother had a similar situation where when he his first year as a coach, he coached a freshman at North Shore, actually. And that was a really cool experience. But he was living with me, uh, yeah. you know, in my, my house. And but his wife was finishing school at Central Oklahoma. So it was almost the exact same situation. I know how hard that was on him. And I'm imagining it's, it was hard for y'all too. And so, you know, for coaches that are listening to this show that are maybe live in other parts of the country and you're considering making a big move, can you give some advice on doing like a, either a semester or a year of long distance relationship when you move for coaching, like from things you learn back, learn from looking back on that experience, like what advice would you give the people that are maybe about to embark on that kind of decision? I think, I think that making sure that you're, you know, in a relationship with the right person is, is right. the first yeah. thing. I think both people have kind of an understanding of, of how that would be and, and what it would be. And then, you know, having the, having the patience and the, you know, uh, you know, the love to work through, you know, any of those issues, you know, there yeah. are things that are, that are not easy and it's, it's sure. tough, but I think, uh, you know, setting aside the time for it, I think, and making sure that even though you're a party, you prioritize the time to, you know, get on the, I, I guess it's better now. You can at least, FaceTime and Zoom right, and some right, of those yeah. kinds of things, which, yeah. which you know, there's some technological things that help. But I think as long as both both people know the end goal and, and agree right. that the end goal is worth it, then I right. think it's I think that helps get you through, right? Know, knowing that it's temporary and knowing that the reason you're doing it and, and what you're you know aiming for is going to make it all kind of worth it in the end. And that's how it was for us, you know. Yeah, it was a big decision. It was at times you know uncharted territory for us. But I think we both believed, and it has definitely paid off this way. That definitely, yeah. we we made the decision that's best for both of our careers, and also for our family, and in raising our kids down here, and and all of those things have have turned out exactly kind of how we hoped. So yeah, I and I mean, think about it, it's just one year. It, it's one yeah. year on this, yeah. you know, hopefully, you know, lifetime you're going to spend together. So yeah, totally think y'all made the right decision. And you talk about that job shortage. I mean, it, it's real. It's the same reason my wife was here. <laughs> you yeah. know, exact same reason coming from the same part of the country and she's your age. So around that same yeah. time, you know, yeah. and then, uh, you know, DeMarchi told the story of he'd apply for, you know, you, like one teaching spot would open and 450 people would apply yeah. for him. Yeah, just like was, you said. That you was know, kind of my, I think I got one interview up there while, while I was up there and, and down here is like, they're just, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of opportunities. You yeah. Know? <clears throat> now let's talk about when you, I mean, Sharpstown high school, did that even mean anything to you or are you just, you know what I mean? Cause like you're coming yeah. from the whole another part of the country. And so my question is just, were you, were you at a stage in your career where you were really researching these kinds of things or were you just happy to get an offer and jumped right at it? Or did you know, did you have other competing offers? I'm just curious, like that thought process when you're making such a big decision, how did you choose? Yeah, pretty much blindly. I mean, very, yeah. <laughs> very little, very little research. Um, yeah. You know, like I, like I said, I was, I was coming down to the Houston area to visit a buddy. So I applied to like a few jobs that I saw open in Houston, a, a few others in surrounding districts. I remember applying to, I think a couple things inside fair and maybe one or two in, in Clear Creek. And basically it was just like the first one that offered me a job. I said, yes. Because yeah. um, I guess in my mind, you know, my experience up in Ohio kind of was like, like, hey, if you're lucky enough to get a job sure. and like take the right. job, right? Right. And so that was the, that was the first one that reached out, and pretty much without without having much background information or anything, I, I accepted it. There's an old saying in sales: it's it's best to be first. <laughs> you don't even have to be best; be first. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. And, 
And yeah. uh, I think that's great job by them to, to get on the horn quickly and, and lock you down. Cause they, they got a great teacher. Now Sharpstown's a, a, a school that I, I have a lot of interest in because I've had two of my team player podcast alums have been head coaches mm-hmm. at Sharpstown. Right. So Cirillo right. Ojeda, you know, who yeah. uh, you, you probably know, you know, fairly well. And mm-hmm. he's now the head coach of my beloved Aldine Mustangs. And then of course, yeah. Matt Torres is currently the head coach. And yeah. also the interesting thing about Sharpstown, a lot of my coaches in high school went to Sharpstown as kids. So okay. it's, it's, it's a, it is a, a high school that has really seen a lot of change uh, demographically, yeah. you know, over time where it was kind of like suburban and high income. And then it's, it, uh, you know, just over time became more immigrant, uh, immigrant heavy. And I know that's what coach Torres talked about in his episode. It's very international at Sharpstown. Yeah. He was telling me all the different languages that are spoken and where everyone's from. So I'm just curious, your experience, you were there several years earlier and i think yeah. you know your teams might have been a little better but i think after you left there were some periods of 0 and 10 seasons yeah it wasn't until ojeda came and torres came and now they're finally getting it going again but right. can you just describe for our coaching listeners like what was it like uh your time there at sharpstown high school i, I think you know like looking back on that experience i'm very grateful for that experience and I'm, yeah i'm very glad it happened at that point in my career i think you know things there I've enjoyed my time there. And like you said, I, we were, you know, had some, some decent teams. We, we yeah. made the playoffs. You know, we were fairly talented the couple of years I was there. And, you know, dealing with, you know, the student athletes that we did, they were great kids. And, and there were, you know, a lot of positives about working there. You know, there were some things that were tougher to deal with about the school and those kinds of things. But I think that one of the big things that showed me is, you know, the, the kids are kids, no matter where they are, no matter what environment they're coming from. And, and the ones that are there to, you know, to, you know, play sports and do those kinds of things, they're looking for the same thing. And, you know, building relationships with those kids is, is really no different than building relationships with, with kids, you know, at Ridgepoint or anywhere else, right. It's, it's having, you know, their best interest at heart and, you know, and being there and caring for them and, and giving them something. And so I think that was a, a great, you know, learning experience for me. I don't know that I'd be as, you know, good working at a place like that now, as far as like, you know, it might be a tougher transition now based on, you know, sure. other places I've been since then. But at that time, you know, I was brand new to it. And, and I just, I loved every minute of it. And I was yeah. enjoying it. I, I enjoyed teaching there. I enjoyed coaching there and and i thought the kids that the kids that i dealt with on a day-to-day basis were were great and you know i, I really liked my time there <clears throat> and then after sharp sound you went to ridgepoint this is where our paths yeah. crossed and like I, right. I still have distinct memories of meeting you for the first time i feel like it was at bain the locker room at bain's middle school yeah. and like instantly we put you to work like unpacking boxes of shoulder pads and helmets and the thing that always stuck out was just like your rate of work i swear to god if i if i was like a factory director or whatever i would if i could hire 10 of you i'd meet my quota every year you know but i just you know let's, let's talk about ridgepoint like how did you how did that happen like how what, what was the chain of events that led you coming to ridgepoint so it's kind of just like a again kind of like a coincidence type thing um i was coaching baseball at, at sharpstown coaching football and baseball at sharpstown and through another guy that coached with us at sharpstown he was friends with Jody Albright. They had crossed uh-huh. paths beforehand. So I kind of met Jody that way and had played, you know, played cards, hung out a few times with him. And some, I forget exactly what the timeline was, but basically, you know, Jody finds out he's going to be the head baseball, first head baseball coach at Ridgepoint. 
he's looking for an assistant coach and, and asked me if I'd be interested. And so I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I think I would be. And so, you know, that, that leads to an interview with coach Niffin, not, yeah. not long after that. And then, you know, get, getting offered the job there. So it was kind of just like a, you know, connections of, of people, you know, knowing people. And so kind of just got, I guess, you know, the baseball connection is what kind of did it there to be the, assistant baseball coach at Ridgepoint and then you know also being able to coach football and, and those kinds of things <clears throat> yeah and I, I look back and I, again I think that a lot of people see the success of Ridgepoint and don't really know the history of what it looked like at the very beginning and I think back at like man coach coach Stiffen was really hamstrung on creating his first staff I mean and I, this includes myself like I, I, I was very green you know, and uh, but we, we were extremely inexperienced staff you really pause and look at it a lot of young guys we had yeah. several of the head coaches of other sports that did a great job helping us out. But I mean, that they were also trying to start their own programs. So coach Plowden, coach McClanahan, I remember uh, we had Jefferson Adams. So we had that yeah. old coach kind of presence. You need that old vet, you know, in there too, but it wasn't, it wasn't the most experienced staff, you know? Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think there was some kind of like hiring freeze going on too, which Correct. added yes. an additional layer of like, right. I think like I got lucky because I t taught math or something and was able to kind of, work through that or whatever but yeah we were uh but but you know what like i think i think you learn so much in those in those environments right you know I, I think i think you know that time to me will always i'll kind of always go back to that and kind of you know think of you know how we started things and, and how it progressed along and, and some of the ways you know not necessarily like what it was that, but kind of the way that we went about things and and the the way we, you know, different people's input and, and those kinds right. of things. And, and I always kind of remember that time fondly. And yeah, I and, do too. you know, I, I guess a sense of pride that a bunch of, you know, us that were relatively inexperienced kind of got things going in, in the right direction, you know? <clears throat> yeah, no doubt about it. I, I, I think that was a big shot in the arm for all of our careers. Like, especially, you know, you and me early on having to do a lot really sped up our progression as coaches, right. I believe. And then help yeah. was coming. The staff yeah. just got stronger each time, you know, guys like coach Hammond, uh, coach mm -hmm. Darnell, you know, uh, these are two guys that are now head coaches, uh, coach yeah. Fisher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We kept adding and adding and adding coach LaFavors now the current coach at Ridgepoint. So it, it was just, it was so much that, you know, we became a really quality staff, but the, the humble beginnings yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is what I would call yeah. it, yeah. you know, kudos to coach Sniffin for just keeping the vision and getting kind of steering us through that. But Right. it also helped we talent was coming too you know and yeah. the players just really just rose us to the next level so thinking back on Ridgepoint man it, it is the fondest part, portion of my coaching career even though with great stops at Clemens and Aldi and lots of great memories there but Ridgepoint was just something really cool and really special you got to stay there a little longer than I did you know yeah. and can you just just real high level when you when you look back at those times out there on Waters Lake Boulevard just what, what are some of the things that, that you reflect fond, fondly about I, I think I think just the, the kids in that community I thought were were pretty special. I thought the community support there was was something that I hadn't seen before. Um, I think you know where I'm at now it's that that is pretty good too. But up until that point, I had never really kind of seen you know kind of a community mm -hmm. come together in quite that way to kind of support a school and an athletic program and that kind of thing. So that that's always something that kind of you know sticks out to me and. And kind of, I guess, you know, the top down at that school, the, the way that, you know, 
I think the kids realized that no matter what it was, there was kind of an expectation of, of excellence or an expectation to be champions or, or to strive yeah. as hard as, as they could for that goal. And I felt like that kind of, um, you know, in a way kind of like trickled down to us too. Like I, I kind of felt that when, you know, when I was working there also like, Hey, you know, like this is you know standard, you know, like we want, we want to be excellent. We want to be the best we can. And I think, you know, going back to, you know, the work that we did as a staff and, and kind of the way that we functioned there, it seemed like, you know, we kind of were all aligned, like that was the goal and like whatever it took to, to push that direction, we were going to. And I think that, you know, that, that kind of to me is like the, the overall theme there's is whatever, you know, whatever sport and coaching baseball, they're also, you know, kind of that same, that same mindset, that same standard, you know, uh, the idea of, you know, we're going to put in the work that it takes to be the best and we're going to be supported in it and, and that kind of thing. And that, that's kind of my lasting memory, I think. <clears throat> you know, you talk about that high standard and I remember, you know, coach Stiffen always kind of tells this story of how initially the coaches, you know, your, my, yourself, myself, him, we literally got a, 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 you know, a roster of all of the male students at Ridgepoint High School that first year and like called all of them and went door to door and had to become recruiting the salesmen, you know, yeah. to try to sell kids to come out for the football team. Yeah. Yep. At, at that first couple seasons, and he always kind of tells the story of like, look at if, if it still hangs there in the Ridgepoint High School Fieldhouse, look at that picture of the first ever sophomore team. That was our first ever team. And yeah. it just was interesting. Those, those were not a lot of the guys that became, and there's a lot of guys that didn't, you know, progress through all the way to seniors, right. you know? Yeah. And I guess there was some point and I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was some point in an off season where coach, I remember coach Sniffen looking at me and saying, we've reached this point now where we don't have to accept everybody. You know, at the beginning it was take all comers. Cause we just needed the numbers. But he right. said, now let's ratchet it up. If, if these, if, if, if a player will not fall into line, let them go. Do you remember kind of like that kind of, do you remember kind of that transition of going from like taking all comers to the point to where we yeah. started feeling really good and we could really kind of hold the standard a little more? Yeah, I remember that. I feel like it was maybe like, maybe the third year. Yeah, I, I think, think so too. You know, kind of, and I think that was one of the things that also was like eye opening to me and something that, that I keep going back to because, you know, in what we do, you're always trying to balance you know, being there for the kid, trying to bring the kid along, teach them what they need to learn, but also being able to, to hold that standard and sometimes say, hey, no, we didn't, we didn't quite reach what we needed to. Right. And so, yeah, you know, those first couple of years, it was, it was, we were, we were scraping for anybody we could get. We felt like we needed to do everything we could to get the numbers up and those kinds of things with, you know, with only two classes in the school to start with. And then, you know, as we kind of added that third one, then you could see, I thought, like it kind of started to grow and you could see, okay, this is kind of, I guess you, you kind of start to see that separation, right? You kind of see those guys that are there for the right reason and, and then that are kind of going along with what you're building. I think a lot of it too kind of goes back to the culture we were trying to build and, and you see it kind of separate where, okay, there's a very few guys at the bottom here that are like willfully not trying to reach that bar. And I, I kind of remember that being a, Right. A, a kind of a drastic like, oh, wow, we've got, you know, 90 guys that are all on the same page, all going the right direction. It kind of makes those handful really stand out for not doing it. You know, I, I do definitely remember kind of that, you know, feel like, OK, this this thing has kind of built some momentum. And, and I think it's it's kind of you know gratifying from our standpoint, too, is like you're kind of putting in this hard work and you've been doing it for a couple of years and 
you know, maybe you're not quite seeing the fruits of it that you that you think. And then when you start to see it turn and it kind of start to, you know, the culture that you were working so hard in still start to perpetuate itself a little bit. That's kind of a pretty, pretty cool feeling, you know. That's a great point, Dober. And you kind of brought up a memory to me that I had forgotten of. At the, I just remember Coach Sniffin was a stickler on wristbands and socks. Mm -hmm. And there were just there was certain we're supposed to wear black socks, not supposed to wear like little wristbands or whatever while we're in workouts. And I remember that first year just having to const or at the towards the beginning, constantly getting on kids to hey, take your wristbands off, you know, change sock, whatever. But then, like you said, eventually it somehow just flipped to where like everybody just fell into line and was moving the same direction. And so when there was a kid that wasn't doing it, like they really stood out. So man, that, that's a great, great recollection. The other, right? the other thing there too, is like a lot of times when, when you get to that point, it's the other kids that are telling them, Hey man, take right. that risk, you know, wristband off. And yep. that's a, a good point to, to try to get to where they're kind of taking that ownership and leadership. So it's not having to be, you know, you or me saying it every time. <clears throat> now, you know, we, we don't talk a lot of X's and O's and, and funny thing is I wasn't even necessarily a big X's and O's guy as a defensive coordinator. The thing that I was always fascinated by was more like styles of play and technique. And so I would watch certain defenses and it, I, I'm not a guy like drawing up blitzes on a napkin, but I would just, I would notice like their base defense and kind of the style that they play. And I'd be attracted to certain ones. And so we always tell the story here how Stratford was just so good to us about opening up their, their playbook to us and right. giving us everything. And th these were district opponents of ours rivals, you know, and uh, yeah. coach Elliot Allen is just somebody I'll always respect for that reason. But we kind of built around a couple programs, you know, Stratford in particular, a little bit of Laporte more on the blitzing side, um, right. Katie a little bit, not really like a Katie defense, but some certain things. And then mm -hmm. Klein Collins is the one where you kind of really come in. My brother had the, I guess, misfortune of playing against Klein Collins when he was in high school. And there are some really good teams. And I just noticed watching those games, Dover, you know, they just really played off the ball at their defensive mm -hmm. line. And it, it kind of puzzled me. I've never really yeah. seen anything like that. And I'm just like, man, they're just giving up the point of attack. This is, right. this makes no sense. But sure enough, as I watched the game unfold and Travis is a team that's prides itself on running the football and pounding the rock, like they could always only just gain two or three yards yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. They're just making yeah. a wall. And so once we kind of we, we talked about that, you were instrumental in teaching our defensive linemen kind of that technique. And I just thought, honestly, between that and Jimmy Hammond teaching the safeties how to properly read run pass you know, yeah. tackles you know those two right. things in my opinion is really what made the defense go the way that it did so can you yeah. just talk about that portion your recollection of how you taught the defensive line technique of we're a little unique of playing off the ball and just how yeah. you taught it and then some things that you liked about it, or just just recollections on that specific technique I, I think one of, I think one of the hardest things for is is to sell them on that idea that sure. it helps it's different them, right? so yeah. I think that's you got to create the buy-in and, and I think if you can make them answer the question, you know, are you always going to be physically better than everyone you're lined up at, lined up across from? Okay, maybe you're going to say yes. How about two of them, right? What, what if you're going to get two of them blocking you on this play? Are you going to be better than two of them every time? The answer is obviously no, right? Mm -hmm. But what could we be really good at is we could be really good at our technique. And I think once they, they realize that, backing up a little bit allows – the defensive linemen to get their feet underneath them to get their yeah. proper foot position, proper leverage, proper hand placement, all those things, and doesn't turn it into just a, you know, a, a pure, you know, strength on strength. Sure. And, you know, especially at the beginning, I felt like we were we were light. You know, we were yeah. we were athletic. We we had some guys that were good football players, but I felt like we were light compared to to people we might be playing against. 
And, and so once we got that, you know, that buy-in, I think just, just teaching, you know, you know, technique, you know, and not necessarily, you know, yeah, it's important where we are, our pre-snap, but like, where do your feet and your hands and your head need to be at the point of contact and, and being able to kind of dictate when that point of contact occurs and also making it occur a half second later than it usually does for those offensive linemen. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of that old idea of like, if you play nine teams that do one thing on your sure. schedule and one sure. that does something different, whether that one thing is objectively good or objectively bad, yeah. you have to prepare for it. And it's something a little bit different that can give you an edge. And I thought that was something that just gave our, you know, lighter, a little bit quicker, but I thought pretty technically sound defensive yeah. linemen an edge that let them be able to play, you know, a stalemate a guy that was bigger and stronger than them or be able to have a chance against that double team yeah. because they're at least taking on that double team with both feet in the ground and in proper leverage as opposed to it surprising them and, and kind of knocking them back, you know? <clears throat> yeah, man, to totally agree on that. And, you know, I always say that my, my favorite memory from that, those special teams that you and I are part of was, was beating Elkins on a Thursday night in yeah. our hall stadium, but you got right. to stay longer and you guys went to even further heights than I ever got to experience and went, you know, yeah. all the way to the state semifinals. So for you, if you have, do you have one memory that kind of sticks out above the rest? Uh, uh, yeah. I thought, uh, beating Crosby in the playoffs was a pretty big one for us. Yeah. I, I thought that was, you know, a, uh, a game where they were kind of pretty highly regarded, you know, offensive, uh, you know, team, pretty, pretty talented on, on the offensive side of the ball, kind of brash maybe a little bit to the point where they could get <laughs> under your skin a little bit, you know, and, you know, I, I don't think a lot of outsiders kind of gave us a chance and, and we put together a really good defensive performance in that one and really kind of, you know, for the most part of the game kind of shut their offense down. I think that that's a big one for me. Yeah, you know, and again, then I think the you know the the run to the state semifinals the, yeah. the year after that was was big too. But I, I don't know necessarily though that those are bigger than what you alluded to. Some of those earlier right. wins, you know, kind right. of like what you feel like is maybe like the first big win in program history, right? Or, or getting over that hump and kind of right. like earning your respect in in Fort Bend ISD or something by being able to go toe to toe with you know, one of the better teams and, you know, that first, that first game, the first time we beat Marshall or something, you know, yeah. those all kind of stand out as, as, you know, regular season game or whatever. But I think because of what it meant for the program and where we had kind of come from to get to that point, I think being able to be there from the beginning, maybe those, you know, seemingly minor wins maybe mean more to me because of kind of, knowing what it took to get it to that point. Sure. And, you know, we, we talk about how those teams at Ridgepoint, I mean, it just felt different with the players. They just, they were all moving in the same direction. We had great chemistry, but we also had great chemistry on the coaching staff too. Yeah. And uh, I think of that defensive meeting room, you know, of course, you know, guys having guys like Donald blank, you know, finding the tells of the O line, like that, that that's invaluable. So I can't, I can't even put a price tag on that. That, that really helped. But also, you know, we think about that last year, we really only had like four guys that was that comprised the defensive staff. So it's kind of small, you know, in that meeting room and, you know, yourself on the D line, I was uh, coaching inside backers, Jimmy Hammond, you know, now the head coach of seven lakes was our secondary coach. And then the current coach at Ridgepoint, Rick LaFavors was coaching outside backers. And so it really was cool, man. We, it was one of the, cause you know, coaches, coaching staffs are just like teams. 
You know, sometimes you have all the players moving the right direction. Sometimes you all the coaches moving the right direction. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do have, you know, meetings that become contentious in game planning or maybe a coach that is kind of going a different way and not fully bought in, you know, or things like that. So I'm just curious because I felt I felt like it was all a great staff there at Ridgepoint. We're all going that way. But do you have any comments about that, about as far as the the importance of chemistry amongst a coaching staff? Yeah, I think that's like like that's to me like one of the two biggest things that that I learned from you and, and one of the things I took from working with you, I think, is is the way that I, I guess that kind of you manage that defensive staff. And I think, you know, I, I try we're arranged similarly. We have four guys, myself yeah. included, varsity guy, a couple couple freshman coaches that help us out. But try to kind of have that same mindset. One of the things I always remember is that like you were genuinely interested in everyone's impact or yeah. input every time we met, right? And you know, sometimes guys will ask a question, but you can tell that they maybe already know where the answer is gonna go. Right. But I just remember those conversations like feeling like, you know the the input we gave and what we gave from you know our portion of what we were breaking down from our you know position type group that like that stuff mattered and that stuff really kind of shaped the way that we put together a game plan i think everyone you know having input feeling comfortable to offer it and not getting in their feelings if it, we ended up going a different direction with the plan, right? I, I yeah. think that's one of the values is kind of that idea of like, I want to hear what everybody says, you know, ultimately I'm going to have to make a decision on this. You know, I'm the coordinator, you were the coordinator, whatever the case is, right. you know, well, we have to decide I'm going to do it, but I want to do it with all the information possible and we're going to evaluate it. We're going to talk it through together. I, I think that's something that I really strive to, to replicate with my defensive staff is that, yeah idea where you know I really want to know what you guys think on this I'm not coming in here with the game plan done and trying to get you to discover it through conversation or something right like I've got ideas you've got ideas but like we really do want to collaboratively put this thing together yeah and and use everything we have and and I think that's something that you know I'll, I'll always keep that with me and really kind of strive to always have that interaction in our you know, staff meeting room. Van Dober, I love hearing that. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of coaches kind of cliche say like, oh, I'm not very smart, you know? And so these guys, like, I really kind of felt that way. I mean, I've really felt like I've got guys that are, that are experts in what they're doing. And so why, why would it make sense for me to take the lead on everything? And so just, just to dip, dive into a little bit, cause some coaches may be interested the way that we did it was, and it's been many years. So I, I may be rusty on a few things, but I feel like that I would go in and look at the plays and tag them as like an inside run or inside concept. We had outside, which was like quick game. I always wanted to be the best team at like stopping like tunnel screens. And I just hate, I hate that kind of little stuff like that. So I wanted a lot of focus on that. And also I think maybe like outside zone and stretch I put into that as well. And so, and then vertical passing. So Jimmy would, Jimmy would be responsible for, he would do his own film study, of course. But like, for me, I was like, you need to look at all these plays, break it down. I want to report on what you think. Dober would look at, of course, the, the inside run. And then mm-hmm. LaFavors would have, like, I, I would tell him, like, I want to make sure we aren't getting just toasted on little tunnel screens all night. It's going to piss right. me off. Right. And yeah. so each one of you formulated explaining what it looked like, how they were doing it, what they were doing, then what our best way was to stop it. And then, like you said, I just felt like I, I don't think I'm the best at details. I'll be honest, like, in some ways, but I feel like I had a, I just kind of an instinct of what kind of like big picture how we wanted to play it. 
we all talked about it. And like I said, it really was a space where we all were listening to each other. And that's why it was so much fun. But just for any coaches curious, like that is how we structured it. And then coach, a big validating point for me, man, I'm coasting the seven lake sports podcast and I'm interviewing Shannon Heston, who mm-hmm. is the men's basketball, co- boys basketball coach yeah. at seven lakes. Who's a hell of a coach. That's how they do it. He explained mm-hmm. to me that like, I can't remember which coach did what, but maybe coach Cole has like the inbounds plays, right. you know, another coach yeah. has like their action on this, you know, like it was the yeah. exact same thing just for basketball. And I was like, if Heston's doing it, we, 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 we were onto something. So yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I think, I think that, that idea, man, of like, of giving, giving everyone on your staff, like ownership over a certain part of something and then like, letting them and expecting them to become the expert on it is, is such yeah. a valuable, a valuable thing for not, you know, for that coach individually. I, I remember like that being something that I took a lot of pride in was, was Absolutely. that, you know, the portion that you gave me like inside, you know, I was going to make sure I knew every inside run, any tendencies we could have, you yep. know, and, and all of that stuff. And I think that, you know, obviously advances, you know, my knowledge, but also kind of like gives that, that ownership piece and, and kind of let you go, let you go further a little bit. And then, so after all the success at, at Ridgepoint, you were able to stay within the district and you went with another team player podcast alum and, and friend of ours and guy from kind of the same coaching tree that we're all from about uh, our good friend, Bobby Darnell. And yeah. you went over and you became a Clements Ranger and that's where I started my career. So it's kind of funny yeah. that you wound up there later and you, that was your opportunity to become a defensive coordinator for the first time. Yeah. Now I don't want to judge up old memories, coach, but you know, you have I had you and I have both had a lot of good days on defense. We've had a lot of shutouts we've pitched. But you and I hold the distinction. We've both been on the re- the receiving end of 80-point ass whoopings. <laughs> you know, we have we have both given up 80 in our career. You and I have both yeah. done that. So I yeah. I laugh about it now and we can laugh about yeah. it, but it just shows in a coaching career it's so funny, coach. My first year at Clements, we went 13 and one, you know, Derek Carr was our quarterback and we had this yeah. great team at Clements. My last year we went 0 and 10. So in a coaching career, you know, if you're around long enough, you see it all. So can you just kind of talk about that coach? Like, first of all, like, let's just, let's just dig into that game. I remember the time we gave up 80. I'm sure you yeah. remember the time you gave up 80, like ex- just for people that haven't experienced that experience, just, just, just kind of describe your recollection of that moment, but then also, what did that do to you afterwards? Was it difficult to rebound from that? Or what did you do to kind of just, you have to keep moving after games like that. So I'm just curious, you're, the whole, everything surrounding that particular experience. What, what do you, what do you remember? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember that, you know, I think the things that, that let that happen are, are obviously explosive plays, one sure. play drives almost. And, and we sure. had our fair share. Those are something that, you know, we struggled with all year. We, we were, you know, we were susceptible to giving up explosives. Yeah. And, and you know what, like to, to some extent, I guess you give yourself, you know, peace by going, I mean, if we would have given up 45, we still would have lost sure. by a couple sure. scores. And, and, you know, you, you never want to be on the end of that. You, you want to, but you, you get to a certain point and you realize like, we don't really have the answers today, whether that's scheme answers or matching athleticism answers or whatever the case may be, it, it's going to be a long day no matter what. And, you know, at, at that point, like it's, you feel like it's out of your hands, right? Like I'm trying to get the kids to keep playing hard. Yep. You know, we're going to try to keep going out there and try to keep working on, on what we need to work on. It's a, it's a crappy feeling. It's, it's, yeah. it's not fun. It's, it's makes it a long, long, miserable game. Um, but I, one thing I think about that is, you know, the next day, 
I think, you know, personally for the kids that I'm coaching, I have to be able to move past it. Yeah. I think, I think they need to see that. I think they need to, I guess in a way it gives us an opportunity to practice what we preach, right? The things we talk to them about, about, you know, having a short memory and overcoming adversity and those kinds of things. I need to be able to do that too. Right. And, And, you know, you look at, you know, what can we fix? What went wrong? To be honest, for, for us, there wasn't a whole lot that was necessarily something we could fix. And, and you know, at a certain point, sometimes that number on the scoreboard becomes more about who you're playing and how they want to conduct the game than about what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's not good, but you you move on and, and you teach your kids that, that that's going to happen sometimes. But regardless of that, we're going to get right back to work the next day, the next week, and we're going to put together the best plan we can. And we're going to put you guys in the best position we can there too, you know? Yeah, man. I, I think those, go ahead. I was say, I think those, I think those things are good for us. And, and like you said, kind of in the cycle yeah. of a career, like that's the stuff that keeps you humble, right? Like it yeah. keeps you from, yeah. from starting to, to think, Oh, I'm really good at this, you know, and you know, <laughs> You kind of believe in your own, believe in your own hype, thinking you've got it figured out. Because in reality, you know, it's never figured out. And those are the kinds of things that should hopefully push us to continue, you know, the quest to get better all the time, right? I totally, I totally agree, man. It's like the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm always yeah. a big believer in that, in like all, all yeah. aspects of my life. Like sure. whenever we're p- pitching shutouts and these great results at Ridgepoint, you know, it's mostly the players. They're great. They were awesome players. And we, we did, yeah. we did our job too, to make sure we, we maximize that talent. But then sometimes, you know, you go to another situation, you know, it's like, I'm coaching the exact same way I did at Ridgepoint, the exact same stuff. And it's like, now it's not working. We just gave up 80 yeah. points, you know? Yeah. And I just think that the, you got to realize like, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not just a shitty coach now, right. you know, yeah. like, you know, maybe I looked better <laughs> having the great players yeah. at Ridgepoint, but also I'm not a shitty coach. You know, the yeah, truth yeah. is in the middle, right? Yeah. The truth is in the middle, right? It, it makes you, it makes you stay balanced. You, yeah. you have to be confident in what you're doing, but you, you can't get arrogant with what you're doing. And I sure. think those, those kinds of days or those kinds of seasons, you know, help you, help you stay that way. You know, we're, we're coming off a rough one this past year for us. And it, it's the same thing, right? It, you know, it, it, it makes you question things, but, but hopefully in the right way, right? Hopefully, right. You know, relook at some things. You know, are these the things we need to be doing? What are the things that need to change? You know, you know, you thought you were really good when you went seven and three the year before. Hey, here, reality check. You know, sure. you didn't figure it out. Keep getting better. You know, all all of those kinds of kinds of things. Yeah, let's let's and let's talk about your current stop. So then, you know, after those couple years of, with our good friend Coach Bobby Darnell, you're able to, to reunite with another friend. You know, Jimmy Hammond. Yeah. You know, who's, yeah. who's the, our guy from from Ridgepoint, and he gets the head coaching job at Seven Lanes. Can you describe how did that whole how did that whole opportunity uh, present itself, and, and what led to that decision to head out to 196A? That was a that was a tough one. Um, you know, I'm really grateful to to Coach Darnell for giving yeah. me that opportunity yeah. and for for trusting me and. And, and, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed those years, um, you know, and I, I guess leading into, you know, coming here, I've always kind of just felt like very philosophically aligned with Coach Hammond. And, and we've yeah. always kind of been that way. I think we're very kind of similar guys, both, you know, yeah. math guys and pretty analytical and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things, similar coaching styles and all that kinds of stuff. And so, you know, he, you know, he was kind of let me know he was applying for jobs here and there. And, you know, I'd, yeah, you know, that one sounds interesting or, eh, man, I'm not sure if I can, you know, move all the way to the, 
east side of Houston or whatever, right. you know, kind of just talking back and forth. And then when it kind of ended up like, hey, I think I'm going to get this one. Are you interested? You know, I had to kind of think it through, but, you know, kind of decided that I thought that, you know, that move for, for the career and for the family and, and that kind of yeah. thing ended up just kind of all coming together and making sense. And, and like you said, the opportunity to, to work with, with Coach Hammond again was was a good one. And, and I feel like it's been a good a good move for us and, and a good good spot to be at. Let's talk <laughs> about that family aspect real, real quick, yeah. because I, yeah. I, I don't know if we've actually talked about this, you know, you and I, but I'm, I'm moving out to Katy. And so I've heard, I think, I think Jimmy told me. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we have, we have a 10 month old son now and kind of just outgrowing our little place here in the city, you know? So I'm just like, man, the whole city was open to us. Like, where do we want to go? And I know my background as a coach, you know, some things that I know that I'm interested that, that appeal to me from an athletic perspective. And now working my day job for Dactronics, you know, selling scoreboards, like KDISD is one of our customers, you know, along with like Sci Fair and Tomball and some of these like beautiful stadiums. And right. so I guess from that side of it, now that I'm, I'm in, I'm selling scoreboards, but also I do broadcasting. So I'm in a lot of press boxes. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm attracted to, to districts that really put athletics first and are willing yeah. to pay more for maybe to get a Dactronics and get the top of the line, you know? Right. And so Katie checks all those boxes for me. It's also yeah. kind of like the next, the, the adjoining county you know or district where i'm from in fort bend so it's it's on the right side of town where my mom lives and all that kind of stuff so when when we looked at all the boxes like we're like man katie is the best for us and so that's why we we, you know we made that decision um and so i'm just curious like it sounds like you've done the same you know you're living there in in katie isd and you sounds like you're really enjoying it but can you just describe for maybe for parents that tune in or people that are interested houstonians like what what makes katie so special i think all of us know all of us just know it has a really good reputation, but now that you're inside of it, what is it that, that makes Katie such a great place to raise kids? I, I think, I think uh, from, from the school district side of it, I think the making sure that all of those different things get taken care of, the academic right. piece, the fine art piece, the athletic piece, not ever feeling like one has to lag behind the others or, or those kinds of things. Um, you know, so and just so many little things, I guess, you know, from the athletic side and things we're aware of, just things that are, you know, just taken care of without even needing to be become an issue in those kinds sure, of things. Sure. You know, just they do a good job of, of all those kinds of things. You know, I think our, our district and our school building administration are great. They do a great job supporting us as coaches and teachers to kind of do our job. I think, you know, whatever we need to, to get the job done for the kids we're able to, to get it. We're able to make sure that we can, you know, have no, no reason not to do that. Um, and I think just kind of the, the community feel, I think there's, you know, it, you're not far from a city of, you know, 5 million people or whatever, but it doesn't feel that way, you know, where, where we right. live. It feels, you know, kind of like a neighborhood and, you know, not, not maybe not quite the way that Rich Point did with being totally secluded, but sure. Sure. I think a little bit more of that feel, but yeah, I just, you know, with, with our kids going through the schools and my wife and I both working in the district, just been very pleased with just the way of all those kind of, and again, you could argue that they're little things, but a lot of those little things sometimes add up and, and kind of, that's what creates the big picture. I think just, you know, little things getting taken care of the right way consistently is kind of what, what I think 
yeah. makes, makes you feel that way. Yeah, man, you and Hammond were huge in ma- making the decision because like I, I, people I trust are telling me yeah. they love it out there. It's like, I don't know people yeah. in Sci-Fair or Tomball or any of those other places, you know? So right. uh, I thought yeah. that was that was really cool. But, you know, let's talk about, you know, you get there. And I, I think Jimmy almost got the key to the city. Uh, you know, became the mayor of Seven Lakes. <laughs> you guys beat Cinco. In, you yeah. know, in a thrilling game after many years of, of coming up short against your big rival. So can you, right. can you describe the lead up to that? Was it something where, was it something where the kids kind of subconsciously like Cinco kind of had your number or, or did you guys go into that game thinking you were going to do it or I'm, cause I'm always intrigued by upsets, man. I just love the stories of upsets. So can you kind of tell me what led into that game? I, f- I felt like we had that first year here, we, we had a pretty, a pretty talented group. I, yeah. I think it had been kind of building and I, I don't honestly know how much, much credit we can take. I kind of felt like it was the the story of a group of kids being tired of losing to somebody and tired yeah. of yeah. Yeah. being yeah. told that, Hey, you know, you know, with, with the way the schools are over here, they're all, man, they're all so close. And so those kids right. are, you know, all friends with, with each other and, and I felt like that almost was something that kind of organically came from the kids. And, you know, we had kind of put together, put, put together a pretty solid year, you know, by, you know, by the, the standards of, of what had been done here. And so we were, you know, rolling pretty good and, and feeling pretty good about, you know, where we were and, and what we had an opportunity to do. And so that combined with, you know, a pretty good group, just, I think, being fed up with, with losing to the same people kind sure, of sure. came together in kind of a magical way. <laughs> One other question I have, and this is just one yeah. because I I cover a lot of Spring Branch football. So I watched a lot of Memorial Mustang football this year. Mm-hmm. I watched them get a big win over Stratford in a surprise win. I watched them thump Jersey Village in another upset win. Those Memorial Mustangs led under Coach Gary Koch, who I, was actually – I coached against him. We were in the same district my last year at Aldean. He yeah. is awesome. He's a treasure. He's an American treasure. He's really funny <laughs> <laughs> for like 30, 40 years. But – yeah. What is it about those guys? Nobody, everybody always sleeps on them. And I know you guys have had some battles with them. It's always a yeah. one score game. Can yep. you describe, cause maybe a lot of Memorial is not one of those big names that maybe a lot of people around the city know, you know what I mean? But like, can you describe what it's like playing those guys? Yeah, man, it's, it is, it's a, it's a battle. And, and you know, I've so much respect for, for their kids, the way they play and for the way that their coaching staff has them prepared. I mean, I think that's, that's the Testament right there to like doing a great job coaching the kids you have, like the whole deal, right? The kids bought in, the coach is putting them in the right positions, you know? And I, I think the reason, you know, to, that you said they don't get a lot of like attention is, you know, I guess you would say like they don't pass the eye test, right? Like you look at them and, and okay, you know, it's, it's an average high school football team. I think where they make the difference though, is they're so sound. They're, they're yeah. so, you know, I, I love watching them play both sides of the ball. I think it's, it's not fancy, but it's, it's sound. They play fast. They're tough. And I think, you know, it's honestly, it's everything you would want your team to be right. If you're a coach and like, you know, you can, you can go down the list and say, I want our team to be this. I want our team to be this. I want our team to be this on the defensive side. Right. I want us to be, you know, lined up correctly. I want us to be sound. I want us to communicate. You know, I want us to fly the ball. I want us to limit big plays. I want us to tackle. They do all of those things. Yeah. And I think the other thing about them too is they get they get better throughout the year. You know, we, right. we play them or we play them early, and it's it's simple. You know, for us too, it's a you know scaled down version of what you're eventually going to get to. But it's pretty cool to kind of see how their kids 
progressed throughout the year. That's one thing I think they do is like a masterful job of, uh, of kind of progressing and getting better as a team. This is, you know, proven over time. They do this year after year after year, right? And you see them just yeah. get better and better and better to the point where they're able to, you know, play right with somebody in the playoffs, knock somebody off that, you know, yeah. people, the experts say that they shouldn't be and those right. kinds of things. So it's a, it's a great game for us too, because it, it's very easy to see like what we're struggling with. You know, you can, they run, you know, you see what it is. You see, we didn't, okay, we didn't fit this well, guys. Look, here's what it is. It's exactly like what it's supposed to look up, you know, and we need to get a little bit better here. So it's a great learning and teaching game for us every year. And, and we really kind of enjoy playing them and, enjoy watching their success after we play them each year yeah and this year you know i totally agree with what you said they don't typically kind of uh overwhelm you with with you know big overly right. big overly fast players but this year they had a college quarterback oh chase goodwin was yeah. really good yeah. he had a break yeah, his did. thumb against Pearland and kind of missed he missed a bunch of games came back late and they caught fire big old yeah. six foot five offensive yeah. tackle max <laughs> wang so they got a yeah. couple of really good kids this year yeah, but. yeah they definitely have some some difference making kids you, you know year to year yeah. But I think just the the overwhelming, you know, the program and the, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing is is impressive. <clears throat> Coach Koch has, I mean, he's been there since the nineties. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that is something that that's consistency that we don't typically see in our profession. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Always, always been a fan of them over there, but uh, yeah, the, I agree. the question we got to ask, man, from that first, and this will be our last seven lakes question. And before we kind of move on to the next portion, but that first year at Seven Lakes, the playoff game with Ridgepoint. Oh, my God. <laughs> this game, I had the pleasure of uh, broadcasting it with my good friend Roger Smith, <laughs> the voice of Fort Bend County. And uh, it was just a knockdown, dragout war. I think that might have been the most physical football game I've ever seen. Yeah. And the added element, you don't see this too often where you have yeah. – the head coach and the defensive coordinators, the two high ranking positions on the staff that are just one year removed from being in those similar positions yeah. on the other, on their former team. And so right. it was an extremely intriguing matchup. And yeah. can you just talk about like that experience? Like, I guess coming into it, it sounds like you had a team that kind of had that little bit of moxie to them and they kind of believed yeah. in themselves. So I'm guessing they were not intimidated by the name Ridgepoint Panthers yeah. in the lead up no. to that game. Yeah, no, not really. We, we kind of, uh, you know, and, and again, we had just beat Cinco in a huge, right. you know, a, a huge game the week before and kind of had, you know, I guess, you know, you're riding high because you, you thought you could do these things and then you actually do one of them. Right. And so the right. kids are very, very uh, excited, very locked in. You know, we felt like we had a pretty good, pretty good plan, pretty good idea of, you know, obviously you, you're someplace long enough and you got a pretty, pretty solid idea of, sure. of how yeah. they do things and where they're trying to attack you and all those kinds of things. And, and yeah, I, I remember like it just being one of the most physical and most intense games I've ever been a part of. I think yeah. that, that just stands out to me is like you said, I, I can't remember a more physical, a more physical one and just going, you know, going back and forth with them and, and being in a low scoring game and feeling, you know, that feeling of like every single you know, defensive call you make is, is crucial. Like it's make or break the game every single time you're, you're making a call, your kids are executing the call. You know, I think, you know, that just was, it was fun, man. It was, it was a fun one. It was intense. You know, obviously, unfortunately we came out on the, on the wrong end of it, but man, we had our, we had our chances and, and I thought, you know, we played them tough and I was really kind of proud of, Absolutely. of our kids for kind of, you know, 
you look, I guess, globally as, as far as, you know, not specifically that group, but over the, the several years before that, it should have been, you know, oh, Ridgepoint probably in a blowout win over Seven sure. Lakes, right? And, and we, we fight and, and, and scratch in a low-scoring game. And I was really proud of the way we, we came out and competed in that game. <clears throat> Absolutely, man. I, I was proud of y'all, too. I mean, just seeing that, that performance, it was really cool for me being so closely connected kind of to both programs. It was an interesting experience for me and one that I, I'll yeah. never forget, but it was a, it was a great game, man. So yeah. definitely something to look fondly uh, back upon. Now to kind of take a little bit of a, a negative turn here, you know, now that I'm broadcasting, I'm up in the bleachers, you know, I, I do see some negative fan stuff from time to time, whether it's yeah. yelling at, yelling at co- uh, officials or talking bad about coaches or just bad body language overall. And I just, I hate that, you know, now that I'm a dad, and I, I think about, you know, fast forward and my son's playing sports. Like I can honestly tell you, I don't give a shit what play they call. I really don't. All I care about is like, love my son, treat him like your own, develop him. I mean, right. that's all I really care about. And so yeah. when I'm in the stands and I remember when my brother was a player, I'd have parents come up to me. Oh, can you believe they called that? I, I don't want to engage this conversation with you. And so yeah. I feel even stronger about that now. Like I, I just yeah. hate that. I really do. So you know, we, we as coaches do have to deal with this from time to time. And I don't know, sometimes I almost think fan behavior has gotten a little bit worse post COVID. I don't know if we're all just pent up from being inside. Now it's just some bad behavior going on, but what advice do you have? You know, you, you have three kids of your own, yeah, you know, you've been right. in coaching for a long time. I, I know parents love their kids. That's why they do these things. That's out of love, a misguided way of love, in my opinion. But like, what do you, what advice do you give for parents to, to avoid doing that? Cause I don't think it's what's best for the kid. I, I think, I think at a certain point, like, there's an issue with like separation or like a control type thing. And I think that's, what's kind of of coming out is like that I'm not in control of this situation the way maybe I wish I was or, or that kind of thing. And I think like, you know, as a parent, like you have to separate yourself from that. Right. And you you have to, you know, I I think kind of just reset your priorities and, and, you know, why am I here at this game? I'm here at this game because I love my kid and I support my kid and I want to see, you know, them do well. And and like, that's, that's it. And and I need to kind of like relinquish control of everything else. I think that's something too, that like, you know, I can even think of, you know, kind of the way that I've evolved and how like my own like relationship with like officials, let's say throughout my career. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, when when you're, when you're young and, and you, yep. you don't quite get it yet, you know, you, you want to you argue calls and, and sure. you want to do this kind of thing. And, and I think you eventually move to the point of having a little bit better idea of what's in my control, what's not right. in my control, right. and being at peace that you've done what you should do with the part that's in your control and realizing that you can't control the other part of it. And I think, I think parents would be well served to kind of keep that in mind right and, and you know one thing I, I try to do with with my kids when, when they play sports is you know like I don't really try to talk to them about X's and O's specific I make X's and O's but like hey this play didn't go well that play didn't go well I try to make you know make sure hey you know I'm, I'm proud of you you did a great job I thought you played really hard and, and kind of staying more in those kinds of things and, and you know occasionally Connor will have a question for me or something about you know football or or this or that, you know, after his game or whatever. But, you know, I kind of don't go that way with the conversation unless he brings that up. I think just kind of keeping that perspective, I think, would help a lot of people. <clears throat> totally agree. 100%. Now, 
kind of a cool story. The real famous guy, maybe the, the most famous basketball player in the world, is from your your neck of the woods in that yeah. northeast portion of Ohio. He's from a, a town called Akron, just south of Cleveland. Right. There. So, you know, he played at St. Vincent, St. Mary's, but the king, LeBron yeah. James, you yeah. did cross paths with him because you mentioned yeah, you're a high so, school basketball player. So can you tell this story? Yeah, so my, my, this is my, probably my sophomore year. He was a year year old, year old ahead of me in school, LeBron was. So there was a uh, some kind of like one of those showcase type yeah couple game tournament at the called the Gundarina at the time where the Cavs played. And so you know, I wasn't on the varsity, but I was, you know, part of the program. So I was able to kind of sit, you know, like behind the bench basically. Right. And our, our school played St. Vincent St. Mary's. And the one thing that like, like I think just is the most like awe inspiring thing of, of that entire game was like seeing this guy's probably six, eight at the time, you know, I don't know what he is technically, but six, yeah. seven, six, eight. Yeah. He, he was by several inches, the tallest guy on the court, but the fastest guy on the court by far too, which right. was just like a combination of things that was like foreign to my mind. And like, I, I just yeah. had a hard time processing that like, you know, this guy's you know four inches taller than, than our center, but he's <laughs> just running up and down where like even our guards can't keep up with him. And just, yeah. just watching yeah. that kind of like, you can just like, okay, yeah, that's, that's different than anything else I've ever seen before. You know, that kind of being able to see that, you know, with your own eyes is, is pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> that That is awesome, man. And I, I just, as great as he is, even the more intriguing thing is just the longevity. Yeah. You know, yep. I, I'm just a couple years older than him. I obviously cannot imagine myself being, playing professional sports and so yeah yeah i just know you know what body father time's undefeated but man he has just kept himself at a great level of play Mm -hmm. man i I think that's one thing that yeah i think you know skill wise but the way he's taking care of his body and i think the the size you know the the muscle mass that he has i think helps with that and that's one thing that you know he looks now now, when i saw him play in high school he was skinny you know he looked like a high school kid but like now the comparison is like he's noticeably thicker than a sure. lot of the guys, yeah. you know, in, in, the, in the league that play that way. And I think that probably has helped him be able to, you know, avoid injury and some of that stuff. Totally agree. And then, you know, as far as your favorite teams, of course, you know, you, you got the hometown loyalty with your Cleveland yeah. sports teams. You're an Ohio State football fan. And I always yeah. say, because I'm, 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 I'm a Michigan fan, but you and I, this is the way the sports fandom should be. We're, we're, we're diehard fans, but we don't make it personal with each other. We're often yeah. texting after the game, just in talking, just about what happened. It's not, yeah. it's not some kind of big yeah. aided. I, th- I think we, I think we both enjoy the the, the talking about the the football side of it more yeah. than like some kind of emotional uh, sure. reaction, which sure. <laughs> could get you in trouble. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. And then, of course, now, like you know, you've become a fan of the Houston. You, you've lived. I mean, has it been? Is it like half your life has been here? At yeah, the, or you're approaching yeah. that point, or. Yeah, close close to it. It's been 15, 15, 16 years we've been down here. So yeah, I kind of view, you know, Houston as I guess my second hometown or whatever. Yeah. And and so yeah, I, I want to see Houston teams do well. You know, it's a lot of the guys I work with have, you know, born and raised here. So they support those teams. And, you know, it's kind of cool, like, you know, you've got in your own mind like the stories that you would hear from, you know, your uncles and your parents yeah. and stuff, but like hearing that about, you know, teams in a different city here. Some of the guys around the table talk about, you know, Oh yeah. You know, like the, the 80, whatever Astros sure. or yeah. kinds yeah. of things. Like it's, it's kind of a, a different, like kind of sitting here as the outsider, but like, Oh, that's right. Kinda, you can kind of see the parallel. Oh yeah. That's how, you know, we talked about like the, those 1995, 1997 Indians teams that went to the world series. And you can kind of see, 
so yeah, I, I want the I want the Houston teams to do well. You know, I, I enjoy watching them and like like the guys I work with to be able to celebrate World Series wins and stuff. It's yeah. pretty fun. Man, yeah. I get it because like you, I understand because like I've be, I really have I have I'm drinking the the blue and blue yeah. and maize Kool Aid. I mean I yeah. I always kind of liked Michigan, you know, early on with like Charles Woodson and Tom Brady. I just kind of liked, I love the winged helmet, you know, Yeah. but I wasn't diehard. And now that I've married into a family that is season ticket holders and I've gotten to go tailgating, it's just like, I've really yeah. bought in. And so I can understand, I don't have to live in Michigan to love Michigan football. And so right. yeah. I'm sure you'll never lose that love for your Cleveland teams. Yeah, no, but yeah, I, 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 guess, I, yeah. but, <laughs> I was going to say, but there's been a few, there's been a few times where there's been, like, I think the Indians and the Astros played in a, a playoff series. Yeah, that's not. my next question. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. What do you do there? It, it's pretty clear. It, it's Cleveland team for sure. Understood. Hey, I don't, I don't blame you, man. And to me, that's just something like you should, yeah. you shouldn't be ashamed of that. I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm approaching that now because I grew up in Texas. You know, the big A and M or Texas question. I'm, I'm on the bird orange side. You know, and uh, Texas and Michigan are going to play. You know, they're, they're yeah. so I guess yeah. I don't really know how I'll, I'll react, but I think I've gone to where I'm a more of a Michigan fan now. But yeah. I guess I won't I mean, know till they actually tee it up. You know? <laughs> yeah, let me know. I'm, I'm curious to know how you sort that one out internally there. Funny story, though, like I said, since I didn't grow up, like as, I, I wasn't actually a Michigan fan growing up, I just kind of liked him. I remember this funny story with you. I didn't know who Bo Schembechler was at that time because okay. my fandom didn't go back that far. I only knew about yeah. Lloyd Carr. And yeah. we were talking about Bo Schembechler because I think someone gave me a Bo Schembechler autobiography and I didn't really know who he was. And you were just like blown away by that, you know, and you were kind of giving me a hard time for that because I kind of got Bo Schembechler confused with Howard Schnellenberger, who was at Florida Atlantic. <laughs> the, Miami, the Miami guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Miami. Later, finished at Florida Atlantic, you know, so I was like, I'm humiliated now to say that because now obviously like, I really, oh my God, he's the greatest coach we've ever had. Um, you know what though like when i first came down here i felt that same way when guys would be talking about you, you know Oilers stuff or whatever sure. i'm like I, that's before kind of i was conscious yeah. of these things and so i'm gonna i'm gonna be the idiot here what are, what are you guys talking about you know yeah. that one to me <laughs> yeah that, that that was a good one man but of course you know i've, I've made my amends my, my son's name is Bo now so yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, you, we, we've made our amends to coach Shen Beckler, so I, I apologize coach but all right man so last thing that we always do here and this is gonna be fun for well, we have a bunch of ridgepoint guys that listen to the show all the time and yeah. i know they're gonna be curious to hear what you say here you of course were the architect of those great defensive lines and i think all of us know that the key to a great defense you can argue which one some guys will say it's the safety some guys will, really i think the d line is probably usually the leader in the clubhouse as far as what makes a good defense go so you were the architect of some of these great d lines at ridgepoint high school if you had to pick a top five all-time ridgepoint panther defensive line who would they be all right well these are from just the years you coach so if anybody didn't play for coach dover don't 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 okay, get angry yeah. you make actually, it. okay I, w- I wasn't sure i actually have how about four that I coached and one I coached against? Is that That'll, acceptable? Excellent. Yep. Because you you got firsthand knowledge. You saw him up close okay. and personal. Yep. So I'll start. I'll start with the one I coached against, Nelson Caesar. I think. Yeah, it's a, you, know, yeah you can't leave him off that list. That, no, yeah. Yeah. That, that. I mean, he's a heck of a player. He was. He was a handful to to watch. Unfortunately, had to also defend him in their whatever their double tight stuff yeah. that he was blocking down on power or whatever, and so first-hand knowledge of him so that was the one that I didn't coach yeah. and then so I've got four guys I coached um and you know I'm, a, I'm probably a little bit biased but you know first one I have on there is Kaiser St. Cyr. Dre the candy man 
he's got a <laughs> got a, got a place in my heart forever, man. Like that was yeah. one of my first first Ridgepoint guys I ever coached, and coaching him on you know freshman freshman football all the way up, seeing him graduate yeah. and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. He's he's pretty special to me. Um, I got Absolutely. Michael Obi on there. Obi, my co-host. <laughs> Obi's uh, just, just I mean, you know, to me, and, and some of these I think are maybe personality based, not necessarily, you know, based on the stats yeah. or anything like that. I, I did put Torian on there from the stat perspective. Sure, sure. When he broke the sack record. Sack so record that passing, 2014 passing team. Manny yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> That 2014 team, all three starters have made your top five. That was a special yeah. game right there. Yeah, I, I had. I, I think part of that though is like there's a bias from like coaching them <laughs> on the varsity from their sophomore year. I think like I think they're you know having to yeah. rolling rolling out there with those guys as sophomores and yeah, and then giving everything they had and and you know I'm that that group and I'm they're pretty special. And we kind of glossed over it, Coach, but for, for, for people that don't know, you told an awesome inside joke there. Can you tell the Manny Teed story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so we, had a, we had a record board at, uh, at Ridgepoint that had all, all kinds of, you know, football records on it. And, and so there was, you know, a career sack record. Um, and so, you know, this is Torian's, I guess, senior year. He was extremely productive for us, kind of did a great job playing that four-eye for us and yeah. wrecking havoc in the backfield. And good pass rusher and and you know he was uh going to break the you know the career sack record or whatever and he he comes up to me at one point and goes hey coach but who is manny teed i said what he's, he, he's, like, he, he's like he must have played here i'm like well Tori, i've i've worked here since the school's been open i've, I've coached the d-line the whole time there, there was no one named manny teed now coach let me show you he takes me over to the to the, to the record board and uh, I think five was like the career. I don't know what the number was, yeah. but th there were numerous guys that had done it. And so on the board, it said many tied with you know five <laughs> sacks or whatever. And so he, he thought he was breaking Manny's record. So Manny, Manny <laughs> teed. Oh my God. Torian, Torian's an American treasure too, man. Like we always tell the story. Uh, Mike Obi on his episode told the story when Torian showed up for before a road game wearing sunglasses, a Navy blazer, with his khakis and polo and a rolling suitcase. He comes, he comes bebopping into the field house and, and everybody's laughing, looking at him and go, Hey, it's a business trip. <laughs> so that's just the I kind of guy I, that he was. I, I have that picture on my phone to this day. And it's, it's probably like the oldest picture I have on my phone, yeah. but occasionally I'll scroll all the way back. And I got, I got pictures of all those guys on there just, you know, being themselves doing yeah. goofy things and, you know, yeah. just a, a, a memorable group. And my, my last one was a guy that uh, <clears throat> kind of moved in towards, when I was heading out, but Dennis Osaga day is my last one. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yep. And I just, I just remember about like Dennis just having like just the most awesome attitude and, yeah. and, and work ethic. And, and he had been there for like, it felt like two weeks in the summer and he was already like, like he'd been there his whole life. Like the kids just took to him so quick because right. of just the way he approached it and how, and how hard he was willing to work. And, and so th those are my, those are my five. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're the best ever, but some, some of my favorite guys and, and guys that, you know, I really appreciate having the opportunity to, to get to work with at that point in my career. <clears throat> oh, man, that's a great list. I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with any single one of them. Those guys were all awesome. Had the pleasure of knowing three of them. And then through broadcasting, I did see Dennis and Nelson, and they, yeah. they, were, they were awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. If y'all have enjoyed this as much as I have, please, again, take a moment, give us the five-star rating that helps more people find the show. You can hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes. As soon as they come out each week, you can follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kobo. That's coach underscore K O V O. You can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. And we lift up our own here. We're building a really cool little community. So if you have recommendations, send them my way. Would love to find more coaches. Um, As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by one of the top five greatest all-time defensive linemen at Rich Point High School. He was the the left defensive end, Kaiser St. Cyr. And so he he designed our logo, which is just, I love it. It's a great, just, I smile every time I see it and I think of him. And then our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. He's a Clements High School alum, so he was there before you got there, but uh, he was a corner, played at Midwestern State. Awesome person. And then finally, uh, just Coach, man, want to thank you for coming on the show, man. Really enjoyed this one. No problem. I did too. Thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily